Uh, part of the, the fun part of what we're doing at the moment is that this, this semester gives us a chance to study the prophets uh, in the Old Testament and, and uh, kind of see how they work and how they function and how they responded to things. And we had a chance to start with Elijah last week. And Elijah, as, as we know, and we didn't spend a lot of time on this, uh, Elijah is probably known publicly as... Uh, the guy that fought the priests of Baal and you know and fire came down from heaven and and there was all of that okay um, and so we get this uh, miracle that happens at the battle of Mount Carmel and he's going to defeat the priests of Baal and what comes next so he defeats it he's feeling good uh, he runs down to the bottom of the hill they actually kill off the, the, the priest of Baal, the, the male, the, the priest of Ahab, then what happens? Remember? What happens next? Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> Up on our Old Testament, aren't we? Well, I think Jezebel decides that she wants him out of picture. Jezebel is not happy. You know, she's doing her queen thing, and she didn't send her 400 uh, priestesses from the grove, the, the temple prostitutes, uh, the cult prostitutes. She didn't send them up there. She hung, hangs on to them, and then she sends out an edict for uh, Elijah's life. So he actually, after this great experience, now he has to actually leave town. And so, so this is where we're going to pick up this picture uh, and this is this is uh, going to be kind of the majority of what the, the the emphasis and the symbolism that I want to hit on today, and that is his experience of the juniper tree. Now, so let's hop over to First Kings. Um, All right. Uh, Jezebel, verse 2, sends a message to Elijah. Uh, I don't care what the gods do to me, but I'm going to take your life. And then he rose, went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. Now, look at verse 4. Because here's, and here's the moment, and I think, remember, every when we study these prophets, and when we study these people, in the scriptures, everybody's an example or a warning. And this is, this is an example. And Elijah is, is the great prophet of his generation, but he's also very human. And this is where it's easy for us to place our experiences onto Elijah. And we get to see his experiences through our own experiences. Uh, verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat under a juniper tree. Um, And now now listen to this. He requested for himself that he might die. Wait a minute. He just had this great experience with the priests of Baal, and he thought he got people turned around, and they said, yes, God is God, and and we'll quit. We're going to try and leave the Baal thing alone. And so it works, and just and now Jezebel's after his life and stuff like that. He requested for himself that he might die. Now why? There's two things here. It is enough 
now, O Lord, take away my life. Why? Why would he want to die? I am not as good as my father's. He's kind of depressed. He's way depressed. Yeah? Okay. What, now, what's the problem here? Shen? Well, can I ask a question about, I'm just thinking about the reasoning of how he's feeling right now. Yeah. Were these priests and the people, were they errant Israelites or were they Phoenicians that came in with uh, Jezebel? Do we have any idea who these people are? That, because he's just having Boy, that's a really good question. And drought. Yeah. And watch his people endure this. And then he's had to slay all these people. Boy, that's a really good point. You, you know, you'd get a sense probably, because we don't know, but it would make sense that the priests of Ahab would probably be errant Israelites. And Jezebel would probably be bringing her gang from Phoenicia. I think that's a great... So you're right, he had to just put down a bunch of Israelites that never did accept the gospel. Well, there's, there's two things going on here too is that uh, he thinks he's the only one left. He thinks he's the only priest. Yeah. He thinks everybody else yeah, is we're going to get to this and say his perception is actually wrong. He's Part of his depression is based on something that's not true. Not that we would ever do that. Well, and, and the other thing is, is that Jezebel hasn't just said that, you know, get out of town or I'm going to kill you. She's actually taken a blood oath yeah. that she's going to, which they take very, very, they, they took very, very seriously. It's going to be pretty hard to change her mind and get her to do something different. Yeah, good point. So... It's what? It kind of feels like a Moroni situation. Hey, I, even I, he says it's like a Moroni situation. It's like I, am, even I am all alone and everybody else died. I'm on my own. And, the funny, and, and for Moroni, he was. And the funny thing for Elijah, he's not. There, there are still hundreds of prophets running around. But at that moment, what happens when we get discouraged and depressed? It's like we have these blinders and what happens? I never do any good anywhere, any place, and nobody likes me, and I've never done anything good ever. <laughs> oh, and then Satan can push those buttons. So, so I think I think there's a mix. You know, you're right. He had to just watch the destruction of a bunch of uh, people that could have been better. But he's basing it partly on a false assumption. I am left alone. And the other thing is, and I'm not as good as my father's. Oh, yeah. Oh, great point. Yeah, I mean, he's, all, he's run down from Mount Carmel. He's being chased and everything. And emotionally, all of this stuff would have pulled a lot out of him. Which sometimes when we zero in in our, really juni- in our juniper moments... And we are sitting there under the tree. We're, we're tired. We're exhausted. We're, we're basing it on false information. And the other thing is, is that then we begin to compare. And that one is a dangerous situation. Okay? Have you ever served in a calling where the person that held the calling before you did a pretty bang-up job? And in fact, the moment that you get called, you go... I have to replace who? Really? Do you realize? And then what do we do? 
I will never be as good as them. And, and sometimes in the church we don't even really help with that much, do we? You know, we get in a, a new bishop or, or a new leader and we go, well, they're not them. Why? Because it's different. They've changed what they're doing and how they're doing. That's not how we do that. So we even get that feedback. No, you're not them either. Okay? Does it make a difference that he's saying, for I am not better than my fathers? Like, they've laid the whole groundwork for me. I should be on top of things. I should be, you know. You know what? I think than, Enoch could have done this. Enoch, you know, he had 400 years. He got, all, he got everybody on board and he got them to heaven. And Melchizedek did the same thing. And mine are just falling apart here. And yeah, I did the great fire thing. That was kind of cool. The Lord sustained me on that one. And the drought thing, but it's still not working. Well, maybe his mission was different than what he was thinking it was supposed to be. Certainly, his, his mission was different. But does he understand it when he's sitting under the juniper tree? No, all of that perspective. It's like, it's like generally, remember, sometimes with these answers, when we get... 20 years down the road and we look back, we go, okay, I get it. That's what that was about. That's amazing. But when we're right in the middle of the soup, there's no perspective. We're zeroed in. Life is horrible. It's awful. I'm seeing painful things. I'm not as good as my predecessors. And I, even only I, am left to write the sad tale. I'm the last remaining Israelite. <laughs> and we just sit under the juniper and kill me now. <laughs> That's why I say, can, can you, how, how tough is it to place ourselves on Elijah at this moment? How often do we have juniper trees? And, and what is it? And, and it just it kills us literally to just put ourselves in that position and we come up short. Mm -hmm. A what? A bloodbath. Blood so even now he's traumatized by what? It, that's slaughter of four hundred priests. I mean, that's a pretty nasty deal. So there's a lot of reasons for him to be in this place, and sometimes in our own juniper moments, we can look at ourselves and go, "Yeah, I got reasons why it is that I would, I would be looking down a tunnel. I have been overwhelmed by everything. These are real life situations that." And, and I have all these struggles. I mean, and it isn't like we're just making stuff up. I broke my nail. <laughs> yeah, no, I have really bad stuff happening. Now, fascinating part about this then is, is how the Lord chooses to deal with this. Here's his prophet having this juniper tree moment. And, and watch what the Lord does in this case. Uh, because I think you're also about to watch. He is a prophet. He's done great things. But he has not yet become the prophet. The one that Jews and Islam and Christianity and Mormonism. We look at Elijah as the dude. <laughs> this is the guy. And you're about to watch him become that. But isn't it interesting that he doesn't become that until he goes through this journey that we're about to experience. Now as we look at this, again, take ourselves and put ourselves in his place. 
And think about your juniper tree moments. And you might be having one this week. You know, it's after the holidays and things settle down. Or, you know, the things going on in your life might be one of those juniper tree moments in your life. Watch how the Lord handles this. Now, so, he's got this prophet that is just kind of... And as he lay and slept under the juniper tree... Uh, behold, and I and I, I have to tell you, from a counselor standpoint, I love this so much. I do. Uh, and slept under the juniper tree, and an angel touched him and said unto him, "Arise and eat. <laughs> Get something to eat." It's amazing how often people come into my office and they're depressed and they're struggling, and I'll say, "And how are you eating?" And they'll go, "Well, not much." And my lovely dear wife, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll come home, how are you doing? Oh, it's been a hard day. When was the last time you ate? I had breakfast. How about since then? Uh, cookie. <laughs> and I'll say, arise and get me to Chipotle. <laughs> Before we do anything else, Let's get you something to eat, and then we'll have a discussion about how the day went. Get you something to eat. The other thing, they just came through a famine. Yes. He wasn't, he wasn't immune from that famine. He no. was probably starving. I think he was starving. Well, he, you know, he had, he had the raven thing for, you know, three years, and then he had the widow thing, which was like cake and oil and stuff like that. And now he's gone through all of this. You're right. He's probably pretty hungry. But let me ask you this. How often when we're doing the juniper tree moments do we stop? We're not eating as well as we should and we're not drinking as should, and we're not sleeping. In other words, we're not taking care of ourselves. Whenever we are in juniper tree moments, we have to begin with the basics. And, and again, people will come into my office. I'm struggling with this, this, this. And I'll say... Tell me about your sleep. Well, I'm not sleeping. Well, there isn't a whole lot we can do great until I get you eating and sleeping. Because once we do that, then we can talk rationally about stuff. Yes, but I'm not as good as my father's and I screwed up everything and I am the only one left to get something to eat. (laughs) Then we'll talk. Okay? All right. So he sleeps. Uh, He says, arise and eat. And he looked, hey, there's a cake on the coals, the cruise of water. He did, he did eat and drink and went back to bed. <laughs> okay. And uh, then the angel wakes him up. He did, he, uh, angel came again, the second time touched him, arise and eat for the journey is too great. In other words, you've got some things coming up here and you need to eat and you need to sleep. You need to take care of yourself first. Because what you've got coming is going to be pretty arduous. But we're not going to have you start down this road until you've taken care of yourself. I, I just the, the message is really clear. Okay. And he arose and he did and he did eat and drink. And then, now it's, it's like you would think right at this moment, if you're the Lord and you've got your prophet and you finally, and he's like, I want to die. And he said, no, how about, 
get something to eat, get some sleep, get some rest. And then wouldn't you think about that now that she's been eating and sleeping, don't you think the Lord would then say, okay, now let me explain to you how you're doing. No, really, you did really well. You're, you have a different mission. You know, I'm going to start explaining it. There are other prophets around. You're not alone. Is the Lord going to do that with him? No. What does he do? We're sending him on a mission. <laughs> and in fact, he's going to send him on the... And he's going to run him through what we have called the wilderness experience. Now, let's remind ourselves, and we've talked about this a couple of times in this class before, but let's remind ourselves that whenever the Lord has somebody and He needs to prepare them for great things and take the prophets and He will run them through a wilderness experience, pull them out of the world, and they will have to struggle against the elements or against themselves, and they're going to have a wilderness-type experience. Like who? What are some examples of wilderness experiences? Moses had a wilderness experience. Zion's camp was a wilderness experience out and back. Okay, What else? Lehi had a wilderness experience with the family. Jesus did the 40 days. And this is being foreshadowed in, in what Elijah is about to do. Did Joseph Smith have a wilderness experience? Where? Liberty Jail. How about the saints? Yeah. The trek. Yeah. That this is this wilderness experience is a standard and it and it and it's there every time. And in fact it shows up in modern literature. All great literature, you know, has a wilderness experience. It's the hero that has to go out into the wilderness alone and come to grips with things. And Jesus had the 40 days? Sure. Okay. It's the wilderness experience. And yet, so isn't it interesting that sometimes when you're having juniper tree moments and you're kind of taking care of yourself, what comes next? It could very well be that rather than the Lord immediately giving you answers to your life, instead He gives you... The trial, the wilderness, the I've been separated away from, I'm on my own, I'm struggling, I'm having to work through things. It's the wilderness. And the wilderness is to prepare us for the great things to come. But when we get hit with the wilderness experience, what do we do? How, we have a tendency to look at it and go, it's hard. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I think mission experience is very much. Let's take let's take this kid out of his comfy situation, and we'll go put him somewhere else in the wilds of Wyoming, or the Salt Lake Valley, or, or something. But we're going to pull him out of here, and he's going to have to go struggle with a companion against hard things. Because we always look, and they come back, you know, and. In, uh, in, in high councils, like, okay, we've got missionaries returning and they're going to come in. And, and we sent kind of this teenage kid out and here comes this returned missionary who comes walking back in and he goes, I have a testimony and we did this. Amazing what two years does. Okay? Well, and too, the Lord tells us that we don't give the answers to our um, questions 
possessions or the blessings that we're seeking until after the trial of our faith. And this can be the trial of our faith. Sometimes we don't necessarily look at it as the trial of our faith. It's like, look, I went through a hard thing. I'm taking care of myself. And suddenly it got worse. It's like Peter in the boat going, Lord, I want to walk like you. Well, come. Come on in. Okay. So he gets out and it gets worse. The wind and the waves got worse when Peter got out of the boat. It's a miniature little wilderness experience for him that says, our expectation is, is that when we pray and when we struggle, the Lord will bless us and... It will get better. Eventually. eventually. But we don't want eventually. No. We want now. So I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to go in. You know, for, for Lehi and the family, it's like, woo, we got saved from the destruction of Jerusalem. And now we're eating raw meat in the desert with a broken bow. It gets worse. And the Lord loves us enough to run us through wilderness experiences. The problem is we don't always see the wilderness experiences as a blessing. We see them as a trial and as a hardship. Um, I think it was a week or so ago in Sacramento meeting, someone was talking about how, I don't know if it was, it was a parable or a story about this, the Lord told this man to push against this rock. It was a big rock. And he pushed and pushed and pushed and he did this for years and pushed. He says, I, says, I haven't been able to get the rock to move. And the Lord says, you weren't supposed to move the rock. You're supposed uh, to push against it because so you, you've gotten stronger and you become... In, in, the, in the push. Yeah. I remember when, when, I, when I served as, as bishop, we went through some, some pretty tough financial difficulties. Uh, as it turned out, the bishop before me had gone through some pretty severe financial difficulties. And then ultimately lost his job. Then I came in and I struggled. And then I had to make some changes. And then uh, my, my counselor that I called was called to replace me when I was released. And he struggled financially. And I know that sometimes... And the ward looked at it and it's like, these are our bishops. They should be blessed. They should be protected. They should be watched over. And they watched bishop after bishop struggle with, with a lot of things. And even as bishops, we were going, hey, <laughs> I'm putting an extra time here. What's going on? Well, he loved us enough to run us through trial. Yeah. Don't you think the Lord's hand in his, his you know, lives of a lot of people? And, you, know, you don't have to be a prophet or a member of the church. To, I mean, you look at the Constitution of the United States, I mean, that's what the, well, the These great and wonderful guys that signed the, the Declaration of Independence stepped up and said, Wow, we're going to be blessed. We're creating a new nation and we're throwing off tyranny. Yeah, this wasn't a two-hour meeting. No, and then, he, and then they all end up losing their homes and, and stuff like that. That's a great point. So their wilderness experiences, we just don't always immediately see them as wilderness experiences. But Elijah is now going to go in the strength of the meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. So he's up in the north, up near Mount Carmel, which is uh, near modern-day Haifa, which is right near the border of uh, Israel and Lebanon. And in fact, when 
when uh, we've got the widow of Zarephath. Zarephath is like another uh, couple of hundred miles up the coast. So he actually was having to hide out way away from the, So he comes down to Mount Carmel. And now he has this juniper tree moment. And the angel says, eat and sleep. you got some travel coming. Okay, And now he's going to go to Mount Horeb. Do we know where Mount Horeb is? Actually, Mount Horeb has another name. Mount Sinai. Where's Mount, where's Mount Sinai? It's on the Sinai Peninsula. And it's way south. How far south? About 300 miles south. South of? South of uh, Mount Carmel. So for him to say, so I'm going to send you on this wilderness experience and it's going to be 40 days and 40 nights. So you're going to have to walk over 300 miles to get down to... Why would he do that? Don't you think he could just put him up on, on Mount Carmel? Wouldn't that work? If it's just, if God's going to talk to him, and that's about what's, what's about to happen here. He's going to go meet with God, and he's going to finally get the answers. And I believe he's going to get the keys, ultimately, in this experience. But why would the Lord send him all the way down to Mount Sinai? Part of it is he, he's not having to worry about Jezebel anymore. But Why? It was the holy mountain. And today we would, we would call it different. We would call it the temple. So isn't it interesting that, it, that in, if we go back a number of years when there were very few temples. Uh, and, and you lived in Dallas and you want to go get married. Where are you going? Mesa or Salt Lake. You're going to have to go, you know, a couple, you're going to have to go a thousand miles. To do that, and you go well. You can get married here; it'd be just as valid. No, I need to go to Mount Horeb. I need to go where the temple is. There's something about the experience to prepare for and do the work to get there. We had an interesting experience, and Yasmin was talking about the missionaries and our rewards and stakes, and what can we do to help them? And said tracking's not working. What are the things? And we had a real insight from a brother that said, you know, sometimes there's the experience of tracking. It's not the Lord needs. To find people you're tracking, the missionaries need the tracking experience. Oh, they do. I think that's a good point. I, I, I do. And sometimes that process of saying, and I don't know if you guys saw the, uh, I'm, I'm always sensitive, and one of the reasons why I got excited about contributing to the First Time Temple Patron Fund was watching these saints in Africa that wanted to get to the temple to get married and to take out their endowments, and, and it took them like, a, a week of driving through mud and dirt and junk and floating down rivers and just because there weren't any roads and I mean it just took them forever to get there but can you imagine how they felt when they got to the temple can you imagine how important the temple was to them at that point because of the sacrifice that they had to go through I remember someone once asked Hubie Brown, why is it that missionaries don't come back with the same kind of miraculous experiences that the old time missionaries used to come back with? 
and, and Elder Brown, who'd had his own miraculous experiences in England that he could talk about. But Elder Brown says our missions aren't hard enough. They're not hard enough. Which is amazing now when, we, when we, we're sending guys out on missions and they're going, uh, this is pretty hard. Well, in a sense, uh, if you're going to be like Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball and you're going to leave your family sitting in a ditch and get on a wagon sicker than a dog and head off to England on a mission, those were hard missions. But when you, but when you survive those kind of things, it means more. Well, this is what Elijah's doing. Elijah's about to go this, on the strength of the eating, 40 days and 40 nights, 300 miles down south to get to the temple, to get to the Holy Mount. I think it meant a lot. Okay? Now, he's going to come into a cave, he lodged there, the word of the Lord says, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he says, well, <laughs> you brought me here. <coughs> In truth, I've just been really jealous that I couldn't get the people to come do this. And then, and then we get this great moment. And, and he is going to say at the end of verse 10, And I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take my life alone. Yeah, they're going to take my life. I'm all by myself. Life is bad. The, the depression is still lingering and the lack of perception is still lingering. And I've now trekked 350 miles through a desert to get here, but I'm kind of prepared now. And the Lord says, now is the moment to teach him. There's been this preparation period of time. Now is the moment. I don't know about you, boys, but after I tracked like 2,000 doors... And you knock, and I remember one night knocking on all these doors. You just trudge, 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 knock, knock, knock. Rain, rain, rain in England, and it never stops raining, and we're just soaked. And, and to have somebody go, "Oh, sure, come on in." It's like the 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 clouds part, the angels sing. <laughs> yeah, and we finally dry out. Yeah. Now, now he's in a place to be taught. Now the lesson is ready. But notice how he does this. And, he, and the Lord said, the voice of the Lord, Go forth and stand before the mount of the Lord. And, and we recognize this one, but now I need you to see it against the context of what Elijah is and, and where he is in, his, in his, this moment, this juniper tree moment for him, how he's doing. Uh, and the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and what? Break. And break, and the Lord was not in the wind. I'm about to teach you, Elijah, about me. I'm about to teach you how inspiration works and how to get answers to prayers about what you need to do in your life. This is where it really has some resonance for us. And break in pieces the rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. I sometimes think, sometimes I see people that, 
have either joined the church or they've come to Christianity and they do it on the basis of a great sign. You know, I told the Lord that He, he needed to give me a sign and, and uh, I've been all alone all day and I was just about to kill myself and a guy showed up with pizza. And it came to the wrong door, and but, he, but just the fact he was there, that was my sign. Well, the Lord was not in the pizza. And, and now comes, and after the earthquake, a fire. And the Lord was not in the fire. Now, sometimes the Lord can be in, and, and Doctrine and Covenant says, sometimes the Lord is in earthquakes and fires and, and mighty winds and sees throwing themselves beyond their bounds. But that's a sign to who? The wicked, the Doctrine and Covenant says. But to these, but to a prophet, he's not in the earthquake, he's not in the wind, He's not in the fire, but he is in the in a still small voice. The words of William Tyndale putting these careful words together as he's translating this. Still small voice. And we, we've had this discussion before, but let's remind ourselves. Why? Why would he be after the juniper tree, the, the battle with Baal, the 40 days in the wilderness, the trek down here, the fire, the earthquake, all of this stuff. Why at the end of this would the Lord be in a still, small voice? Why? You know, I've actually found uh, in my counseling sessions that oftentimes, if I really want to emphasize a point, I will say, if you don't stop doing this, you'll die. You need to quit. Now, again, wouldn't it be easier, though, in terms of if you're trying to talk to a teenager or something like that, wouldn't it be easier if the Lord shouted? When you're trying to figure out, do we take that job in Fargo, North Dakota? Wouldn't it be nice? No. My aunt and uncle live there. No. No, wait, no. Wouldn't it be easier, though, if the Lord said, don't take the job in Fargo? Oh, can you carve it on the wall uh, the temple don't take the job in Fargo we're not supposed to take the job in Fargo why? look at the wall <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night and it was like and the whole house shook no Fargo Oh, then I guess we're supposed to stay here wouldn't that be easier because then there wouldn't be a doubt in our mind about I don't know if that was me or not how do I know that that was really an answer well, look at the wall. Oh, yeah, okay. We're not supposed to take the job in Fargo. I think it also is symbolic of the simplicity 
of the Lord. I mean, yes, he has death. <coughs> I mean, think of the angel was telling Elijah, you need to eat and, yeah. and drink. That's something that's very simple. And yet, like you were saying, we want, well, I know in my own life, I look for... We want headlines, right? Yes. Yeah, we want noise. We want... We want things that says for sure I can't screw this up because I don't because I don't trust that I'm not getting the wrong answer, especially when times when I have thought I was following the right answer and man did it get worse. You know I ended up in a wilderness. Can you believe that? I thought it was the Lord's answer, but it got worse. I was in a wilderness. Must not have been the right answer, or maybe it was. I'm also thinking about when we correct our children. If we come at them with a strong voice, um, it puts them on the defensive. Oh, sure. And and so they put up these walls, and they're going to do it their way. But if you come at them gently, they're more willing to listen. You ever watch the Charlie Brown cartoon? <laughs> you ever hear the voice of an adult in Charlie Brown cartoons? <laughs> <laughs> what do all the adults sound like in Charlie Brown cartoons? <laughs> and you ask kids later, after they have been yelled at and lectured to, and you're giving them the best lecture you know how to give them, and then they come into my office and I'll say, did your mom talk to you about it? Yeah, what'd she say? I don't know. <laughs> she was yelling. She was lecturing. What'd she say? I don't know. I just tuned it out. One time in the church news, they had a comparison of, you know, giving, you know, talking to people about, parents talking to their children about snow, how it kind of just gently comes down and kind of seeps into the ground rather than... Oh, I like that. Yeah. The, just kind of the, the dropping of snow. And, the, this, and again, I've mentioned before that I believe that one of the reasons why it is that the Lord speaks with a still small voice is because it's simply in his nature to do so. Mm. This is the way celestial beings talk. Shouting and angry voices are the, is the language of the world. Whispering is the language of heaven. What are you doing? Yes. And it's a soft voice that just says, what are you doing? And think about how, how um, that the Spirit does that with us. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? 
Yeah. And, and, and the way of the world... Oh, it, it really is. The, this whole dot, whole idea of this still small voice. Now, I want you to... Yeah, go ahead. They are. Please lower your voice because this is how we, this is how we talk in holy places. Now, I get that when we're frustrated and we're angry and we're struggling, we tend to yell and stuff like that. And I would say to any of us that get in a, in a parenting situation, if we find ourselves yelling, take the advice of the angel. Go get something to eat. <laughs> get some sleep. And then let's have a discussion. Time out. Yeah, let's, t- let's time out here. Yeah. Well, you, 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 yeah, you do that, I'll call on you. I'm good. <laughs> okay, now, I want you to notice, so, so there is a, and, and this is one of those moments you kind of got to try and visualize this thing, because I think it, it's, if you see it for what it is, and I wish that they had filmed this, I think you'd be able to see it much more clearly. But try and picture this, if you will. So, we've had the strong wind, we've had the rocks break. We got the earthquake. We got the fire. And after the fire comes a still small voice. Now watch Elijah's response. And it was so. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. And we're going to talk a lot more about mantles in just a minute. But he wrapped his, his face in his cloak. And went out and stood in the opening of the cave. Now, there is. Uh, this is what I want you to picture. I want you to picture that in response to your juniper tree moments, and you're struggling, and, and you tried to follow, and you got something to eat, and then the wilderness came after that. Now you end up, and it turns out that God wasn't in any of the really bad, destructive stuff going on around you. But He was in the still, small voice. And look at Elijah's response. He's in his cave, struggling. And what he does, he wraps himself in his mantle. And he comes out to the mouth of the cave and he stands. Isn't that why we go to the temple? Yes. Yes. And if you look closely, you'll see some temple symbolism here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but there is this moment where this humble prophet hears the still small voice and his response is to come out of his cave, wrap himself and stand. Now, what would happen if we did that? If when we're struggling, we heard the still small voice and we wrapped ourselves in our in 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 this cloak. And we stood at the mouth of our cave, basically to do what? What's he doing? He's, he's listening. And I, I, I parallel this with, uh, with uh, in the Old Testament, we've got Samuel, the boy. You know, and the Lord keeps speaking to him. And, and finally, he does what? Here am I, Lord. Here am I. I think he's yeah. Not always teachable. Push back. Push back. But he's he's ready and he's teachable. And I think he's saying. Now's the moment. Give it to me. Yep. 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 I remember President Kimball uh, in his 
as a prophet. I remember him standing in general conference and talking about, Lord, give me this mountain. Lord, give me this mountain. I think all of this, the, the, the trial, the, the juniper tree, the 40 days, the struggle, all that comes, it, it, it is all pointing at this very moment. Here comes the still small voice and Elijah now teachable. I'm now ready to do whatever you need me to do. This is the moment. This is when he becomes the prophet that we know. I believe. The preparation is there. The teacher is there. The the pupil is now ready. And now he's going to be taught. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we got it. Our pride is such a. It, we carry it as. Uh, he could have carried his pride as the cloak, right? I can do this myself. I don't. I don't need this. I have this conversation in my office a lot. I can do this on my own. Really? And how's that working out for you? Well, not so well. Okay. How about we get some help here? Okay. And we get, rid of the, we get rid of the pride and we wrap ourselves in the righteousness of our experience and in our calling and, the, and, the, and, and in a sense the atonement which is the mantle at this moment. And he's going to wrap himself in that and say, now teach me. Tell me what you need me to do. And, I, and I'm ready to be taught. This is the moment. I... Had experience in a recent testimony meeting. A, a lady went up and bore testimony. It was real brief, but she effectively said the same thing. She said that I found in my life when I find challenges come up that I have difficult following. She said if I lean in as opposed to you know, oh. kind of bristle, ah. this concept of lean in is so when I find challenges. Oh, I like that. I think if I'll lean in instead of push back, I'll am I am I bowing up? Am I pulling back as opposed to leaning in? Oh, that's a great concept. Yeah. Oh, kind of went away. Prison iron. Now, I testify it is a small voice. It whispers, not shouts. And so you must be very quiet inside. That is why you may wisely fast when you want to listen. Fasting is not about kind of giving the Lord an extra bribe to get Him to do what we want Him to do. I'm not getting what I want, so I will fast, so now I'll get what I want. Fasting is about becoming quiet and still inside so that we can hear what he wants us to do. And that is why you listen best when you feel, Father, thy will, not mine, be done. You will have a feeling of, I want what you want. And then the still small voice 
will seem as if it pierces you, but makes your bones to quake. More often it will make your heart burn within you again softly, but with a burning that will lift and reassure. Can you see Elder Prison Irene doing that? Boy, I can. He's kind of my exemplar for meekness uh, and trusting and being willing to be taught. Jerem just read his biography, and he wasn't always that way. He had to learn line upon line just like we are. No, he was a management I thought that was really helpful to see him as a human being because he's a wonderful, great man who Mm -hmm. is so humble. But it was fun to see him as a humble human being. Yeah, I've used the the story before that when I was a... When I was a student at uh, Rick's College, and I needed some extra money, so I'm working in the in the uh, gym area. I'm handing out clothes, and and President Irene was the president at the time, and he would come in and he'd play tennis, and you'd watch. And I just sit and watch these long, beautiful tennis strokes of of President Irene. But when he would come in, and he would like he's turning in his clothes so that he can get a fresh set of clothes. He'd be like, "Here's my clothes." Aww. And I said, "What?" <laughs> Here's my clothes. <laughs> it was just such a a soft, and he would do that every time. Just this soft, gentle, you know, um, approach. Even to something like de- dealing with some guy handing out clothes in the gym. Okay. Um, all right. So Elijah now is, uh, just a reminder, uh, and I was trying to tell this to an elders quorum yesterday, just a reminder too, sometimes when we get caught up in the, was it a prompting or was it me kind of moments, and one of the reasons we struggle so much with the still small voice is we want to make sure that we don't make mistakes. I can generally tell my, my way, my signal for me when I'm getting an answer and I'm not sure if it's me or if I'm not sure it's the Lord. My very quick way of knowing is the fact that if I got an answer and it was exactly what I wanted and it's going to be easy to follow, it was me. Yes. <laughs> if I'm praying for an answer... And it's going to involve me having to do some things. And it's going to stretch me and probably do some things that I really didn't want to do. It's probably the Lord. Yeah. That, that's, my, that's my way of knowing between the two. Okay. And this is one of them. Okay. <laughs> okay. And Elijah says, okay, I'm here. He's be- I'm ready to be taught. And the Lord says, great. Return to the wilderness of Damascus. That's far, okay, we're, we're back now to Zarephath. I want you to travel 400 miles. Oh, okay, do I get ravens? <laughs> Feed me on it? No. Uh, go, go that way, go to Damascus, uh, and now uh, Hazel, Hazel to be king of Syria. Uh, Anoint hit, anoint uh, Jehu, and by the way, now I want you to find Elisha uh, and anoint him to be prophet in thy room, in thy stead. 
I want you to find your successor and anoint him. Okay? So here's here's his walking orders. Okay? So, all right. Oh, and by the way, Elijah, uh, there are about 7,000 in Israel that are still good. Oh, I'm not alone. Well, that's nice. <coughs> okay. Now, verse 19, so he departs, he found, he found Elisha, and, and, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I just think this is, this is indicative. Uh, and Elisha is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, uh, and he was with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle on him. Okay, now, now let's ask, what is a mantle? If you had, if you were trying to explain to somebody, a teenager or somebody new to the church, and they go, mantle, isn't that what's like on the fireplace? What is a mantle? It's a stewardship. What else? The wheel's turn. It can be a physical cloth. It can be a physical cloth. Do we have any instances in, in the scriptures where the mantle, other than Elijah's, was physical? Joseph Smith had a mantle for Brigham Young. What was it? Oh, 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 yeah. When, when uh, Brigham's standing in the in the back of the wagon in Nauvoo, and they're going, "Do we follow Sidney Rigdon or do we follow the 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 twelve? And physically, that mantle was Joseph himself descending down over uh, that. Okay. Was that coat of many colors? There you go. The coat of many colors. There was a physical manifestation of who's going to get the birthright. And again, we're about to talk about birthright and double portions as part of this. Okay, But that was a physical manifestation. The brethren, the, the other brothers in, of uh, sons of Jacob weren't upset because Joseph got a nicer coat than they did. Ours is kind of shabby. He got the Nike coat. That's not good. What was it they were upset about? What did Joseph get? The birthright. The birthright coat. The one that is a physical manifestation. Okay? And and again, we've, we've talked about that in Hebrew tradition, called the Mishnah, Hebrew tradition was that this coat of many colors had meant that it was really a coat of skins, that the coat of many colors is a mistranslation. And when, when I look at the translation, they're right. It wasn't a multi-hued coat. It was a coat of skins. And Hebrew tradition says it wasn't just any coat of skins. It was whose? Adams. That this coat of skins had been passed down and it was always given to the birthright son. So Jacob was bypassing the other ten and giving it to number eleven. They were ticked. But it was a sign that the mantle had been passed. Yeah, Bishop. I believe, I know it's in Britain, but I don't know where else it is, that the people 
people had the medal of office on a chain that hung around their shoulders. And they referred to that as a medal. As yeah. the mantle. Absolutely. Whether they were a king or a sheriff or a mayor. Yeah, and, and it is. And you, you'll see them. you see pictures of these guys in England. And it is a metal thing. that It's a big necklace. And it just hangs there. And it's the symbol of authority. And, and the, the Queen of England has something similar to that, but she also has other symbols, which is the scepter and the sword. Okay? But it's symbolic that, that the authority has passed. Okay, so in this case, we've got this mantle. He's going to cast his mantle, and Elisha gets it, and, and, and I love this. Remember the is it I don't know I don't remember if it's the Iliad or the Odyssey uh, the the uh, he burns the ships meaning what there's no going back you're going to have to conquer here I just burned your way home you better win well look look at uh, Elisha when this mantle is passed uh, verse twenty one. He took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave to the people and did eat. And he arose and went after Elijah. All right, if I've got the mantle, I'm following you. He doesn't yet have it, but he's designated. He's the prophet-elect. And it's about to come. Okay? All right. Now, in the time remaining, now let's now hop over... I want to kind of pursue this a little bit. Let's go to 2 Kings 2. <coughs> We're having an interesting discussion. I've got a, uh, I've got a son that has a strange way of uh, spending his spare time. He went back one of these days. I'll have to. I may have to bring what he. Uh... Actually, today, Cindy would have been a good time to bring his notes. Wouldn't yeah. it? I missed an opportunity. He went back and studied uh, succession of prophets in the church, modern church, and how old they were. And one of the things that that uh, my son David has done in his research is that he found that one of the ways you can tell because because. We get a new prophet when the old one dies. And age kind of plays a role in when they die. Not always, but often. Okay, And so we went to, to assume that if you just take a look at the prophets, one of the ways to tell who might be a prophet in the future is how young or old the people are ahead of you, especially the first couple of pro apostles in succession just above you. Does that make sense? So we're just trying to figure out. And so we actually went back and looked at the, the prophets that we've had, and then our current set of 12 apostles. Uh, and trying to say, okay, based on that, are any of the, the apostles just older than you, or just in more seniority, are they older, or are they younger? And if they're older, how many years of a gap is there between you and the guy above you in seniority? Because chances get pretty good if there's the more of a gap there is. For instance, uh, President Monson had uh, something like uh, 12 years younger than, uh, than uh, President Hinckley. So there was a pretty good chance, and he was made an apostle when he was 33, 
three. So one of the ways you can tell is, you know, how old is everybody above you and everything. And based on that, you get a good sense about what are the po- probabilities of who might be a, a prophet in the future. Okay? And uh, his, his uh, research told him that probably the two more, that are the three more prominent possibilities for prophets in the future, I think was Elder Scott, Elder Holland, and Elder Bednar. Because <laughs> they're just younger than the guys above them by a, by a significant amount. Okay. All right. So now at that point, then, so so Elisha now becomes the prophet elect, and he's going to have to fill the shoes of the prophet Elijah. Now watch how Elijah, and we're going to talk a lot more about Elisha next week. But uh, uh, Elijah says to Elisha, uh, hang, hang out here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Elijah says, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Uh, I've got to learn everything I can from you, and I'm not leaving your side. Now, so he's going to follow Elijah everywhere he goes. Now, with, with prophets watching, and this becomes kind of important, and Elisha watching. So Elijah is walking along, and, and look at verse 8. Elijah took his mantle, and he wrapped it together, and he smote the waters of the Jordan, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they, the two went over on dry ground. Now, why would he do that? Don't you think they could have just got a little boat? And if they got across the Jordan, just there's probably a little ferry or something like that, or, or find a, a part of the Jordan that maybe isn't as wide and they can just splash across. Why would he do this? Well, he was doing it in front of the witnesses there. And, Why? And that was symbolic of Moses. Yes. And that was probably the most significant thing that they yes. know. Yes. What we're going to find here is that this specific act was a specific sign given to uh, the people to know who was the prophet. If you're not sure, watch for the guy that parts the waters. <laughs> and, it, and in this case, it, it worked. Now, uh, fascinatingly enough, in an interesting sort of way, I have, if, if you'll notice, I've... Uh, I've uh, cross-indexed D and C 8, 2 and 3. Okay? Somebody want to turn to uh, D and C 8, 2 and 3 for a second? They can, uh, they can read that for us. Okay, you, you got it? Now, now before she does, if you look at the top of section 8 of the Doctrine and Covenants, what's going on here? This is given to Oliver Cowdery. What's Oliver Cowdery trying to do? Translate the Book of Mormon. This is this, is this little incident where we, we don't have a lot of information on the, the fact that jo- Oliver was given a short window of opportunity to translate the Book of Mormon. But remember, he fears and he's not able to do it. And then the Lord pulls the gift. But along with that, we get 
we get one of these directions back to the still small voice discussion. Okay? Now, so, so go ahead and read verse 2 real loud, Sean. First of all, verse 2. Okay, so this one we know pretty well, right? That that uh, the Holy Ghost, and, we, and it's a still small voice, will come upon you in your... And we're going to get two witnesses here, right? We're going to get in our heart. heart and in our mind. It's a confirmation. It's the two witnesses. Now, he could say, all right, now that's true. Uh, so I'm going to tell you in your mind and in your heart... Now to Oliver, he's going to say, now let me give you an example of how the heart and the mind work to, to do great things. But listen to the example that the Lord uses with Oliver. That's where we get verse 3. Anybody see that one coming? <laughs> well, this is the spirit of revelation. Like when Joseph Smith is able to translate plagues. Or like when Joseph Smith is able to receive revelations uh, for his people. Or like when you knew that you were supposed to come out of Palmyra and come down to Harmony and help him translate. It would be just like that. But that's not the example the Lord is going to use with Oliver Cowdery. This is the prophet of revelation just like what? <laughs> Moses parting the Red Sea. Wow. <laughs> we don't always we don't always picture, uh, you know, in the movie The Ten Commandments, we don't picture him going. I'm going to listen to the still small voice, and based on that, I will now part the Red Sea. Why? Because I received it in my mind and in my heart that if I will just place my rod here on the on the Red Sea, it will part and we will go over on dry land. What we picture is Charles and Heston. <laughs> Behold the power of God. <laughs> That's what's... But, but we're just being told, how did Moses part the Red Sea? The very same way you're to get answers to prayer in your own lives. You've got to step forward. But he will tell you in your mind and in your heart... And then he will divide what from what? He will divide up the decisions that need to be made. He will prepare a place for you on dry land. Now there's a wilderness on the other side often <laughs> that you're going to have to follow, but he's still going to divide it. You'll be able to walk through And what about your enemies? Oh, he'll drown them. But it's fascinating to me that the Lord is going to say to Oliver Cowdery, the way that you translate is just the same way as Moses parting the Red Sea. Think about the Red Seas that you have in your life that need to be parted. And don't you wish you had a Moses that would just like, Behold the power of God. I will shake my kid's heart and make him ready to go on a mission. He said, no, it'll be a still small voice and I will tell you in your mind and in your heart just like I did Moses. And just like I did Elijah. 
And we'll find out next week. And just like I did Elisha. Because that's how I part Red Seas and Jordan Rivers. Oh, wait, was this the Jordan River? Uh-huh. Yeah, this is Jordan River. And they stood by the Jordan, verse 7. Okay, now. So Elijah takes his mantle and wraps it together, smites the water. They divide thither and thither. They went through and died drowned. And it came to pass that when they were... Now, now listen to Elisha. Elisha. Elijah said unto Elijah, What? Shall I do for thee before I be taken away? I'm about to go. I'm not going to die of old age. I'm going to be caught up into heaven. Why? Why was he going to? Why was he going to need to be translated? We, two main guys that we got translated, other than Enoch and his city. He's going to be translated. Why? He needed to still have his body to come back and do what? Give keys to before that. Before Joseph Smith. Oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus had him. Peter, James, and John. Yes. Moses and Elijah are going to hold certain keys that need to be given to men on earth, and you're going to do it as a translated being. And I'm going to get them, and we know for sure Peter, James, and John, and we also know Joseph in Kirtland. So I know I'm leaving, but I'm not going to die of old age. What would you have me do for you before I leave? Now listen to Elisha's request. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Now, stop for a sec. Where does this term double portion come from? In the Old Testament... What do we know about double portions? Who gets double portions? The birthright son gets the double portion. Why? So a double portion means uh, if I'm the oldest son, then I'm going to get my, my portion of the inheritance, but I'm also going to get an additional portion so that I can take care of mom, and sisters, unmarried sisters. That's the double portion. That means I get stuff for me, but I'm also going to have additional responsibilities for my family and for others. That's a double portion. Remember, this is why it is that Laman and Lemuel spent, you know, a thousand years screaming they'd been robbed. Robbed of what? The birthright, meaning we didn't get the double portion. Did they want to serve? The, no, they wanted to control. But that's a double portion. So here's the real question. Here's the one I spend all week pondering on. What is Elisha asking for in a spiritual sense when he's asking for a double portion? That's what I did too. Fascinating. Okay. That, that would be a good guess. She said a heart and mind. Let's go back to if, a, if, a, if the oldest son, if the successor to dad is going to get a double portion, that double portion again does what? 
I'm going to get a portion for me, but what's the additional second portion for? To take care of others. To take care, to serve. I want a double portion. I want to be able to serve like you served. I know that I don't have enough in and of myself. I need the double portion. When you transfer the mantle to me, I want the double portion. I want the birthright. And it is and it's going to be fascinating that when look at verse 12, uh, there's another another interesting point here. Uh, and Cindy actually picked up on this one. Look at verse 12. When, a, when Elijah and Levin, Elijah's going to be caught up in a whirlwind, and Elisha saw it and says, What? My father. Oh, yes. I'm getting the mantle. I want the double portion. Not only do I need a double portion to be able to serve, but I also want to be your son. I want to receive the mantle. I think we don't know for sure, but it certainly makes some sense for me because this is the first time that he really then says to him, "It'll be you're going to be granted the double portion, and my father, my father." In other words, I will be your heir. Was he actually his son? Is, is he no, he, was he actually his son? I don't think so. It shows a different lineage. So he went back to Zarephath. Is this the widow's son? <laughs> Just curious. I don't know. Just curious. You've been watching once too much. Haven't you? <laughs> everything is related to everything else. Okay. Yes. Yes, of course. Okay. No. Okay. So we don't know for sure, but it makes some sense to me that when he's asking for the double portion, that he's asking for this extra portion of the spirit, if I'm going to take on the mantle of responsibility... I want to be able to serve like you served. Not just for my own area of responsibility, but I'd like to be your heir. I'd like to be the prophet. I'd like to be able to reach out and serve others. And I will need a double portion to do that. Does, does that make sense? I don't, I don't know if you're going to talk about it or not. Can I just skip over the part where uh, Elijah says, oh... Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Okay, so let's come back here. Because the response to Elijah initially, if that is really what Elisha is asking for, asking for, listen to what Elijah's response is. Elisha says, Let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And Elijah says, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Why is it a hard thing? I don't know, but it reminds me of give me this mountain. Do you, do you yes. Know, do you know what you just asked for? <laughs> yes. I think it is. Well, when you think of all that Elijah had to go through, that meant Elisha was going to have to go through. Yes. How was how was Elijah doing under the juniper tree? <laughs> Thou has asked a hard thing. I remember. I remember uh, we had a we had a dear brother in a ward that I was serving in, and 
it became it became fairly obvious that that this uh, this wonderful brother who served so well in so many in so many ways, and we knew that the the bishop was leaving, and he really really wanted to be the next bishop. Oh, no. <laughs> we kind of looked at each other and went. Oh, he don't get it, do he? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He don't be understanding here at this point because he's not getting what he's really... Do you realize what you're asking? They have financial problems. Yeah, in this world, it could be financial problems, right? <laughs> Your finances are about to fall apart. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is. And I'll be able to do this. And Elijah's saying, Yes, you're going to do this. And Elisha's going to be an incredible prophet and he's going to do great things. But is it a hard thing to be a prophet? Oh, man. <laughs> Don't we, though? Yeah. You know, it would be really cool to do the like call down fire from uh, and, and and torch the altar kind of thing. I don't want to be on the receiving end of the juniper tree moments when I feel like I've failed. And it is a hard thing. And the Lord and I think that's why it is the Lord also gives us a double portion. And I believe why it is that that's why a mantle descends on leaders. Whatever calling, I think when we give, we were we were setting apart a good brother uh, yesterday in a in a new calling, and he was receiving keys and responsibilities and powers to fulfill it. And the Lord, the, the Lord was giving him that because just prior to that, I'd been saying to him, "I've got some really hard things I need you to do. You're going to need to do this and this and this and this and this. Now let's give you the mantle." To be able to carry that out. Because it is a hard thing. Now go hike 400 miles up to <laughs> Syria. And start doing all this kind of stuff. It's almost that on that. Okay. Alright. Well let me, let, let me just wrap up. Any questions on this? Does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah, they're going to get that additional attack. Absolutely. Yeah, I just, I, I look, I think, <coughs> there's no, there's no way our well, and don't you think that he knows, he, he sees letters and he sees situations that none of us would see where we're watching people struggle and have a hard time and he would be aware of that more than we would. Yeah. But how many times have you heard the prophet say, I have to repent? And they have to often. Yeah, yeah, because they they've got to be able to keep themselves. And, and I think part of what they would struggle with is is not falling into juniper tree moments, yeah. and just go, uh, 
I'm not, I'm not as good as President Hinckley. Yeah. He, he he was more. He he did you know and and President Hinckley going well. I'm not I'm not Howard Hunter or I'm not Ezra Tapp Benson and I imagine President Benson going I can't do it what Kimball did. It's just the power of what they carry. Well, we sit back here and we say he needs to repent. Yeah. Well, I don't have a child. I, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, where does that put me, Bishop? I, I guess my comment a little bit about Elisha asking for that novel portion. I can understand him wanting the, the wisdom of Elijah, but the Lord calls individuals because of, of their unique because the Lord is going to use their unique set of talents and skills and so, you're right and so Elisha was not Elijah but Elisha did some things that Elijah never did yeah I have to do what they portion. did. I have to. I have to have a double portion. I need extra. Yeah. I need extra yes. to be that good. Yeah, because I'm not going to be able. To, I don't have their I skills. Can't do it on my own. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it is the Lord's gift to give. And, and, and in fact, let, let's finish with that because the response is going to be, uh, and we'll finish with this. <coughs> Elijah's going to say, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so. If you see me go, then you got the double portion. In fact, I'll throw the mantle as I take off. Okay? But if not, it shall not be so. Can I translate that? It's the Lord's call whether you get it or not. If you are fortunate, then it'll be a way that you know. But it is the Lord's call to give you the double portion. It's not my gift. It's it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's call. Yeah. I must offer the description. I love it for another. Have we ever felt we've received a double portion from the Lord? And oftentimes I did my children. You love them to death, but when they do good, do you ever feel like the Lord's giving you a double portion? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that was yeah. You go. Hey, that was really good. What, what I just said to them that was not too bad at all. I don't think that was me. When you see him serve an honorable mission or to make it marry in the temple, you, you feel this over sense of joy that you go, I feel I've got a double portion of his blessing. Ah, uh, perfect. I love that. Okay. Uh, I, I just think, well, again, one of the reasons, one of the power that comes from studying these prophets uh, is to see, to see their humanness. We get to see them struggle and and they become re if they if we do that they become real to us and their struggles become real and you're going to find how many times that their struggles are our struggles rather than just people that lived six thousand years ago what what do I have to do with them we're going to find just how real they are so um, I pray that uh, we'll be able to kind of see that in these in these wonderful uh, prophets that we're going to study and I leave that with you in Jesus name. Amen.